This is episode number 58 of the Individual One podcast. For the record, individual number one is President Donald J. Trump. And I am your host, John Ziegler. We are broadcasting from Los Angeles, California, and distributed internationally by the Global Story Network. This is the bi-weekly program, which takes an honest and hard look at the presidency of Donald J. Trump from a conservative perspective, because unfortunately no one else is willing or able to tell the real truth about him. And unlike the corporate media, we here at the Individual One podcast have most definitely not been compromised or co-opted. Welcome to the program. Please subscribe, rate, review, and share it via social media. And follow us on Twitter at Individual One Pod. That's Individual, the number one pod. So there is so much to get to today. Uh, we'll try to get to as much of it as is possible. When we uh, last left off in episode number 57, we did discuss quite extensively the emerging scandal involving a phone call between the president of the United States, Donald Trump, and the president of Ukraine, President Zelensky. Well, since that time, uh, we've learned a lot. Boy, that escalated quickly. But before we get into what we've learned, let's just review uh, how we got to this current place. So several weeks ago, I briefly mentioned on this podcast that there was a, uh, an item in an op-ed or an opinion piece uh, that briefly cited this allegation that uh, President Trump was essentially trying to extort an, an investigation of his possible Democratic rival, Joe Biden, by the Ukrainian government. And at the time when I mentioned this, I thought, OK, this is crazy. I mean, this is too crazy uh, even for Trump, right? Correct. I mean, it just seemed implausible that it could be this clear cut and that Trump, even Trump, could be this dumb to do something this so obviously corrupt. But I mentioned it in a series of other emerging scandals. And then uh, over the last week or so, it really broke open with a, a lot of reporting, uh, specifically around this whistleblower report uh, that had been provided that there was uh, an urgent, an urgent uh, concern about uh, something that the whistleblower had become privy to. Now, as far as we know, the whistleblower, we don't even know who the whistleblower is, uh, although Trump is already convinced that this person is anti-patriotic because you're against Trump. You're automatically anti-patriotic. That's the way it works in Trump's mind. Correct. Uh, but um, we, we don't know that this person has any direct evidence of what transpired here. The whistleblower report, though, is critical to actually see. And as of this moment, we have not, despite uh, the uh, president and the administration's promises, we have not yet uh, seen that. All we've seen so far is a rough transcript of the, uh, the said phone call. But over the last several days, the reporter, reporting continued to mount up. Trump's statements continued to pile on. Rudy Giuliani, his personal lawyer's statements on television continued to come forward. And they were all consistent with essentially the same thing, uh, a confession in a real world, a confession that the president of the United States did, in fact, ask the president of Ukraine to investigate, essentially, Joe Biden, his Democratic rival or potential Democratic rival uh, at this time, the front runner to be the Democratic need to face Donald Trump in the 2020 election. Now, that alone Right there, if that's all you needed to know, if that's all you knew, 
then that would be incredibly significant. That would be highly inappropriate. It would be a massive political scandal. If Barack Obama was caught doing anything close to that, absolutely Republicans would be immediately starting to talk about impeachment. Correct. Uh, and, and that would be enough because that is using the United, the power of the United States presidency, the prestige of our government, and, all, and potentially a whole lot of other things, depending on the details, to coerce a foreign government to intercede in our election. And apparently doing so without it even being based in truth, which is something I also uh, hope to get to in this episode of the podcast. But so over the last several days, we've had these uh, essentially admissions you know, a lot of people have been wondering, well, what's actually in the transcript? You know, shouldn't we wait for the transcript or know more about the phone call? I, I agree with that. I I'm a little confused as to why things have transpired so quickly, but they have. And Nancy Pelosi, who in the last episode of the podcast, I told you was going to cave. She was going to eventually cave on this. I didn't expect it was going to be this quick. And even before we saw a transcript of the phone call, but it was clear that the pressure was starting to mount on her, that enough is enough, that the Democratic caucus can no longer take uh, all of, of these transgressions or an, an alleged transgressions, all of these potential impeachable offenses. And there are so many of them. At some point, I will do an entire podcast on what just maybe the top 10 are. But there are so many potentially impeachable offenses that this president is at the very least uh, suspected strongly of having committed, if not already having been proven having committed. But that happened faster than even I expected. Uh, she, uh, when she got off the fence, boy, did she get off the fence hard. Because yesterday she held not a press conference, but a, a, she did a very dramatic statement after meeting with her caucus. She told her caucus, look, we're going to start an official impeachment proceeding. By the way, no one really knows what the hell that means. I mean, there's really no legal definition of that. I mean, there are some people who argue that by calling it that, it strengthens the legal case when it comes to getting documents, enforcing subpoenas, and that kind of thing. And that would, if so, that would be a logical reason for Pelosi to use this language and to be so dramatic about it. What I didn't quite understand about her press conference was, again, the timing seemed a little premature. I'm a person who likes to get all the facts before, you know, jump to conclusions, especially ones that could potentially blow back in your face if it turns out that you've jumped the gun. Uh, but she also, she didn't just make this dramatic. She didn't just have this press statement right at five o'clock uh, to the nation, essentially, because it was carried on, on live on the cable news networks. But she also used some very, I found, uh, frankly, conservative language, language that I agreed with about the nature of our republic and quoting Ben Franklin and uh, the idea of upholding the Constitution. And really what I have been saying for a very long time uh, on this program and in others, that this is the essence of why Donald Trump must be impeached. It's about 
maintaining the framework of our country. It's about the future. It's about if this is allowed to go unpunished, then how could you possibly ever hold a president accountable for anything? And it almost doesn't matter whether he's removed from office, that at the very least you have to at least provide that historical marker that he was impeached. Yes, the Republicans in the Senate were too cowardly to go ahead and remove him from office, but that but at least the House of Representatives did the right thing. They drew a line in the sand. They said this can no longer stand. Well, to me, again, I agree with that language, but I, I felt like maybe that was, again, premature. I thought that maybe you save that. Maybe maybe what you do is you say, look, uh, this is very troubling. We believe that there's all sorts of reasons why this president uh, should be subject to an impeachment investigation. And we're going to just now make that official. We're just going to make it clear that that's where we're going. And maybe there's that helps our legal case going forward again with subpoenas and with uh, witnesses and with documents and what have you. Uh, so I thought she went a little too far considering the factual record at the time. I, I was also a little disappointed to be kind of funny about it, hopefully funny about it. You know, I, I've joked uh, often that uh, Jerry Nadler, the head of the Judiciary Committee, and Adam Schiff, the head of the Intelligence Committee, have been very much handicapped in the Russian investigation because they have no balls, because their balls have been in Nancy Pelosi's purse or in a jar on her desk or somewhere. So I was a little disappointed that the announcement yesterday by Pelosi did not include an official ceremony where she allowed Nadler and Schiff to get their balls back. I would have liked to have seen that. I mean, it kind of would have reminded me kind of like, you know, the scene in the end of The Wizard of Oz when the wizard is giving the uh, scarecrow uh, his brain and the tin man his heart. You know, and, and here we have Nadler and Schiff saying, if I only had my balls, you know, then you could have uh, this this, I think, uh, particularly appropriate ceremony where Pelosi is handing back or placing back, if you will, uh, these testicles for Jerry Nadler, who would have been Nadless uh, and uh, Adam Schiff so that they can actually do their jobs. I mean, there, there's a there's an important point here, which is they have not been able to go full bore on this. Uh, and, and it's obvious that both Nadler and Schiff have wanted to because Nancy Pelosi hasn't let them. And in a proverbial sense, she's been keeping their balls in her purse. Well, now apparently they have their balls back. At least Schiff does. There's some apparently internal strife in, uh, involving uh, uh, Nadler that Nadler may have been sidelined by this. So, I'm, I, you know, even in my joke, uh, Nadler may still be castrated. Uh, that uh, Pelosi apparently is now siding with Schiff on this whole thing, and that uh, Nadler, the head of the Judiciary Committee, which is where impeachment really ought to be centered, uh, may or may not uh, still be in a position of real power. We'll wait and see on that one. But after Pelosi makes this statement, this dramatic statement, the media portrays it as historic and what have you. It's only the fourth time that this has happened in American history. Two other times it led to impeachment. The other time with Richard Nixon, it led to his resignation. Donald Trump immediately starts to cave. Now, one of the fascinating news reports that have come out in the last 24 hours is that Nancy Pelosi apparently got a phone call from President Trump. Correct. Now, now 
And, and apparently the essence of the phone call was, hey, look, Nancy, can't we work something out on this? Uh, you know, is there some is there some deal we can come to? Now, I've always been very suspicious of the relationship uh, between Donald Trump and Nancy Pelosi. Uh, I have often on Twitter tweeted out, I've done so a couple times in the last day, one of the most amazing photographs you're ever going to see, and it's remarkable that so few people have ever even been exposed to it. But it's a photograph of what Donald Trump sent to Nancy Pelosi when she was uh, given the speakership the first time back in 2007. Now, this is so classically Donald Trump. He sent her, I don't know if it was framed or not, but the picture is framed. He sent her the front page of, I think it was the New York Times, with her photograph, you know, with the gavel as Speaker of the House, and he personally signs it to Nancy, you are the greatest, exclamation mark. And, of course, it's an ego, only an egomaniac would send the Speaker of the House a congratulatory autograph of yourself, which is what he's done. I have one of those myself. Trump sent me one, <laughs> not because I was Speaker of the House, but in a very similar way, he signed uh, the email that I had sent him after we met backstage at the Today Show in uh, 2014. So this is something Trump likes to do. So and he sends it with a little card. I have the same card from the desk of Donald J. Trump and somebody, whether it was Pelosi or whatever, framed the thing. And so I've always felt like Trump thinks, first of all, finally of Pelosi because he's a longtime Manhattan liberal Democrat, never really been a conservative. That whole thing's a fraud. He's a con man. And it's obvious that he thinks of Nancy as someone that he can either negotiate with or manipulate. And so he tries to do that yesterday and obviously did not work because Nancy came out exceedingly strong now suddenly in favor of impeachment. And after that, Trump starts to appear to cave. He says, all right, well, we're going to release the transcript. He says the transcript, although that's not really what happened here. Uh, and we're going to release the, the whistleblower complaint. Now, uh, now, this was interesting because with Trump, it's always very difficult to interpret, all right, is he being crazy or is he being crazy like a fox? It's the same thing with his attorney, uh, Rudy Giuliani. Uh, my gut instinct on this was that he was deciding that it would be more difficult to defend not complying with the law and releasing the, the whistleblower complaint to Congress, which is, is legally required. That's what the law says. So if his administration prevents that from happening, that would be more difficult to defend in his mind than what's actually in the whistleblower complaint. And with regard to the transcript, same deal, that people might imagine things that are worse than the transcript than are actually there. So... I found that to be interesting. It gave me a little pause, like, okay, what are we really going to find out here? And, of course, after the whole Bill Barr, Robert Mueller fiasco, people are understandably on edge with their BS detectors on high that we're going to be played here again. Are we really getting the real deal or are we getting some sort of spin? Is this really what was said in the conversation and where is the whistleblower complaint? So the rough transcript, and that's what it is, it's not an actual transcript. The proof of this is that this phone call on July 25th of this year 
apparently took a half an hour. That's what the call readout says. This was a half-hour phone call. Now, is that an exact time? It certainly looked like an exact time because it was, I think, 9.03 to 9.33. There is no way, no possible way, that the phone call, <laughs> as, the, as transcribed, is a half an hour. I mean, I could read it to you in far less than a half an hour. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I am going to read portions of it. So the, that's the first sign that, okay, wait a minute. Th- this isn't a full transcript. It actually says in the memo that this is not a full transcript, although it certainly is written as if parts of it are taken verbatim because it certainly does sound like Donald Trump. But it's important to point out this is not an actual transcript that has been released. And to this moment, we do not have the whistleblower complaint as required by law. That apparently is being redacted. And of course, again, because of the Bill Barr, Robert Mueller precedent, we have every reason to be extremely skeptical or cynical about what's actually going to be released to the public, just like we do with this rough transcript. So when the transcript came out, I really didn't know what to expect. I mean, I knew it would be bad. I I have often referred to Donald Trump as Donnie Soprano. He is a mob boss. He is much like uh, the HBO uh, character Tony Soprano in a lot of ways, not just in the mob boss way, but that's clearly uh, the way that he looks at the world. And Michael Cohen has talked about this previously. This is how he got Michael Cohen or his lawyers got Michael Cohen to lie to Congress about the timing of the Trump Moscow project. There was never any direct communication. Hey, you're going to lie to Congress and this is what you're going to say. You don't need to do that. You don't need to do that, especially when you are president of the United States. People take your hints. And what's striking about this rough transcript is the hints aren't even that subtle. I have to say, in some ways, the transcript is worse than I expected. And in some ways, it's not. I will also say that it's way, way, way more complicated than I expected as far. And what I mean by complicated is there are all sorts of elements of this transcript that are begging for some legitimate investigation. Correct. I mean, that are not even in the realm of uh, whether this was a quid pro quo between the president of the United States and the president of Ukraine. There are some things here that have really shocked people and raise enormous questions, especially regarding the involvement of Rudy Giuliani, president, the president's personal attorney, his personal attorney, and Bill Barr, the attorney general, who Trump continues to act like is also his personal attorney. And so much of what I'm interested in this whole thing is How does it relate to what we already know about what happened in the Russian investigation and how that was shut down? I wrote a column about that yesterday, the day before the transcript came out, which I hope you'll check out. You can find it at Individual One Pod, our our Twitter handle, Individual One Pod, about how what we think we know about the Ukrainian phone call should, in a rational world, reopen the whole concept of Russian collusion. I'll explain in a moment. But let's go to the transcript of the phone call. Uh, And I'm just going to read what I think are the the most uh, key portions. And I have to say, if there was um, one thing that I 
is getting lost. And as I've mentioned, there's so many different elements of this. It's very easy for the moronic news media to, to miss some important elements of it. But if there was one section of this that I don't think is getting nearly enough play, and maybe it's not even a section, maybe it's, it's just a, a, a larger big picture concept. I think that Zelensky's statements are maybe more important than Trump's statements. Everyone is focused, understandably, on what did the president of the United States say. But I would like you to focus a little bit more on President Zelensky, who, ironically enough, is meeting with Donald Trump almost as we speak, and Trump is going to have a press conference afterwards. Now, I don't know whether or not that was part, I mean, you know, the simplest explanation, it would indicate that it would be, whether or not that was part of the White House's thinking on the timing here, But it is obvious that whatever Zelensky says, if anything, today about Trump is not credible because this guy uh, is sucking up to Donald Trump in ways that would embarrass a Fox News host. I mean, Zelensky, really, if the presidency of the Ukraine does not work out, he should go on Fox and Friends because that's that's the level of suck up here Uh, or or maybe even Donald Trump's personal uh, assistant. I mean, if Donald Trump gets impeached over this, which I think there's a very good chance this will be part of how and why Trump eventually gets impeached, he will share another thing with Bill Clinton. Not only will they both have been impeached, but when you listen to this transcript, you'll realize that both Bill Clinton and Donald Trump will have been impeached in part for receiving a blowjob in the Oval Office. That's how pathetic this is. So here, here is Zelensky talking, and this is where I think it becomes the important part. He says, I would also like to thank you for your great support in the area of defense. Now, that's the defense that we're providing them with aid and with money. Okay, so that's that's key here to understand what is it that the Ukraine wants. They say, we'd like to thank you for your great support in the area of defense. It's also important to point out that Trump stopped. Trump stopped that aid. Uh, less than a week before this phone call that has been pretty well documented at this point so and i don't we don't know whether the zelensky knows this at this point but trump has stopped put it put a hold on that aid so i continue with the transcript we are ready to continue to cooperate for the next steps specifically we are almost ready to buy more javelin weapons from the united states for defense purposes. Trump says, and this is maybe the key line from his perspective in this entire thing, I would like you to do us a favor, though. I would like you to do us a favor, though. Now that, there's been a lot of talk about this, whether there's a quid pro quo here. Okay, Trump has been tweeting out today, uh, hey, uh, no quid pro quo here. President looks like he's in the clear. Not only is that not the standard, um, when you are president of the United States and someone, another president from another country, uh, thanks you for your support and defense, funding that you have just stopped, and he says, you know, we're ready to buy more weapons, he doesn't say, yeah, okay, great, we'll, we'll make that happen. He says, I would like you to do us a favor, though. The though I don't think is getting enough 
play here. Though, the though is, that's, in the way I read that, that's uh, a quid pro quo. <laughs> that's, okay, hold your horses, buddy. <laughs> we'll, we'll get to that. We, we can make that happen. But I would like you to do us a favor, though. And then he starts talking, and this is the part that is maybe the most mysterious. He starts talking, and there's some people who think he's, he's just clueless and mistaken, and there are other people who think this might be the most important part of the transcript. But he basically starts talking about the Ukrainian role in uh, the DNC hack of the whole uh, email thing that was such a big deal in the 2016 election. And Trump says, I would like to have the attorney general, meaning Bill Barr, his buddy, call you or your people, and I would like you to get to the bottom of it. As you saw yesterday, this is so important, this is July 25th, Robert Mueller testified on July 25th on live television, and he completely crapped his pants. I'm not going to get into that. And so Trump was euphoric at this point. In, in Trump's mind, this whole thing is, is with Russia is in his past. He's untouchable. He's invincible. And he says, as you saw yesterday, that whole nonsense ended with a very poor performance by a man named Robert Mueller. Uh, I'm not going to get into that. An incompetent performance. Uh, I'm not going to get into that. But they say a lot of it started with Ukraine. I remember, of course, uh, Paul Manafort Trump's uh, former campaign chairman, who's currently in a federal prison, had a lot of very corrupt dealings within Ukraine. But I digress. Back to Trump. Whatever you can do, it's very important that you do it if that's possible. Again, let me repeat. Whatever you can do, it's very important that you do it if that's possible. Now, that combined with I would like you to do us a favor, though. I mean, that is when you're the president of the United States. That is not an ask. That is a demand. That's making it very clear. Look, I got some things I want you to do. So Zelensky responds. She, and he could not. This is where the, the blowjob comes in. It is very important. And we are open for any future cooperation. We are ready to open a new page on cooperation and relations between the United States and Ukraine. For that purpose, I just recalled our ambassador from the United States, and he will be replaced by a very competent and very experienced ambassador who will work hard on making sure that our two nations are getting closer. I would also like and hope to see him having your trust and your confidence and have personal relations with you. Well, wow, that's <laughs> I hope that's a transcript there, personal relations with you so that we can cooperate even more so. I will personally tell you, now this gets really weird, I personally tell you that one of my assistants spoke with Mr. Giuliani just recently, and we are hoping very much that Mr. Giuliani will be able to travel to Ukraine and will meet once he comes to Ukraine. I just want to assure you once again that you have nobody but friends around us. You have nobody but friends around us, Tony Soprano. I will make sure that I surround myself with the best and most experienced people. He's basically quoting 
Trump's campaign promise there. I also wanted to tell you that we are friends. We are great friends. And you, Mr. President, have friends in our country so we can continue our strategic partnership. I also plan to surround myself with great people. And in addition to that investigation, the one that Trump is asking him for, I guarantee, and, and by the way, apparently you can argue that, and this is maybe more important than what I, you know, maybe I need to rephrase that. When he says that investigation, that could mean what Rudy Giuliani has already discussed with his, with his assistant. Because this is the train of thought here. So this is evidence that Rudy Giuliani has already, already come up with the quid pro quo. Hey, look, we need this investigation into Joe Biden, which we're going to get to uh, in a moment. Uh, and, uh, you know, there's some things we can do for you. But just to be clear, Zelensky says, in addition to that investigation, I guarantee as the president of Ukraine, that all the investigations will be done openly and candidly. That I can assure you. Now, wow. I mean, okay, so that's why Zelensky's portion of this is so incredibly important. Because it is, it is obvious, if you're Trump, that there's no need. There's no need to put on the full court press, right? I mean, there is no need. This guy, his legs are up, his toes are in the air, his panties are off. He's take me, please, whatever you want. That's what Zelensky is saying. So there's no need for clear-cut extortion, quid pro quo, uh, whatever. I mean, Zelensky's making it exceedingly clear. Whatever you want, Donnie Soprano, just tell me what the price is. So then the president tells him what the price is. The president says, good. Because I heard you had a prosecutor who was very good and he was shut down. And that's really unfair. A lot of people are talking about that. <laughs> no one at this point was talking about this, except maybe Rudy Giuliani. The way that they shut your very good prosecutor down and you had some very bad people involved. Mr. Giuliani is a highly respected man. He was the mayor of New York City a great mayor, and I would like him to call you. I will ask him to call you along with the Attorney General, Bill Barr. Rudy very much knows what's happening, and he is a very capable guy. If you could speak to him, that would be great. The former ambassador of the, from the United States, the woman, was bad news. In other words, <laughs> She wouldn't do his bidding for him. And the people she was dealing with in the Ukraine were bad news. So I just want to let you know that. The other thing, there's a lot of talk about Biden's son, that Biden stopped the prosecution. And a lot of people want to find out about that. So whatever you can do with the attorney general, meaning Bill Barr, our attorney general, would be great. Biden went around bragging that he stopped the prosecution. So if you can look into it, dot, dot, dot. Now, that doesn't, we don't know. Does that mean there's, there's a hesitation in what Trump says? Is there more content there? Because this is only a rough transcript. We don't know. That's a, one of the many questions that needs to be answered here. He then says, it sounds horrible to me. Now, that's, that's the ask. That's the tell. That's, uh, frankly, about as close to a 
quid pro quo, which you're going to get, especially when you're involving Rudy Giuliani and Bill Barr. Zelensky responds, the next prosecutor general will be 100% my person, my candidate, who will be approved by the parliament and will look uh, will start as a new prosecutor in September. He or she will look into the situation. There you go. Zelensky right there says he or she doesn't even know who the prosecutor is yet, but he's in charge. So it's going to be 100% my person. He or she will look into the situation specifically to the company that you mentioned in this issue. Now, interestingly, that's not what Trump said. Now, again, so much of what we don't know here. Is there more to the conversation where Trump does mention the company that Biden's son was working for? It's also important to point out that the prosecutor was no longer investigating the company, not Hunter Biden, not Hunter Biden, but the company that Hunter Biden was on the board for was no longer investigating uh, that company when the prosecutor got fired with the help of Joe Biden. That timeline is exceedingly important. But what we don't know is, did Trump actually mention the company or is Zelensky already largely because of Giuliani or perhaps other communication with Trump, is he already so educated to the issue that he knows where Trump is going? That is a question that needs to be answered. Zelensky continues, the issue of the investigation of the case is actually the issue of making sure to restore the honesty. So we will take care of that and we'll work on the investigation of the case. In other words, you got it, Donnie Soprano. Whatever you need, we're on it. Don, uh, Donnie Soprano continues in response, I will have Mr. Giuliani give you a call, and I am also going to have Attorney General Barr call, and we will get to the bottom of it. I'm sure you will figure it out. I heard the prosecutor was treated very badly, and he was a very fair prosecutor. So good luck with everything. Now, that last uh, statement there about the prosecutor being a good guy, which Trump says several times, I think is another underrated element of this, because there's nobody that believes that this prosecutor was a good guy. There's nobody that believed that it was a wrong decision to get rid of him. Uh, there, Trump's the only one uh, saying that. But why is he saying that to Zelensky? And why is he saying that multiple times? He's planting the seed in Zelensky's brain that this is the narrative that he needs. He needs the narrative to be that this guy was actually a beacon of justice and that Joe Biden torpedoed him to protect his son. That's the script. That's the script that they're going on here. And Trump is feeding that to him several times. There's absolutely no factual basis for that. And that's why one of the many mistakes the media is making in all this is that they're saying that Trump wanted uh, Ukraine to hand over dirt on Hunter Biden and therefore on Joe Biden, because Biden, as Trump references there, is on tape bragging about helping to get 
that prosecutor fired. That's what the media is reporting. That plays right into Trump's hands. And that is completely unfair to Joe Biden, partially because of the timeline. What we really have here, based upon the current factual record, is that Trump is coercing, extorting the president of Ukraine to concoct an investigation so that Trump can claim that Joe Biden is under investigation in Ukraine for having gotten rid of this tremendous prosecutor, all because Hunter Biden, his son, was a subject of investigation. Well, that's wrong at every single level. It was not Hunter Hunter Biden that was under investigation. It was this company. Number two, the timeline shows that was not in play at the time when the prosecutor was fired. All right. And now the idea that somehow, well, we're going to we'll start an investigation for you, Mr. Trump. Well, that's all Trump needs. As long as Ukraine is painting this a figment of the the fantasy narrative that he wants, then that's plenty. That's plenty. If he can muddy the water enough and he can try to make this into Hillary's emails, then then he's going to be able to use this to beat Joe Biden. And so it's, it's, it couldn't be more obvious in, the, in a rational world. I mean, the way I look at this transcript in the big picture, for smart people who are not blinded by partisanship, this transcript, even as it is, even though it's only a rough transcript, it's devastating. It, it is absolutely a smoking gun. Now, to dumb people who are part of a cult. I love the poorly educated. It's not. This is a big nothing burger. They, they don't understand because, one, they probably don't read it. If they do, they don't read it with, with an open mind or with any critical thinking skills. And they're all going to think, well, you know, he didn't say, I need you to, I mean, I, I even hesitate. This whole idea that there wasn't a quid pro quo is, is frankly hilarious. I mean, I mean, people, come on. It's just flat out ridiculous. This whole thing is, is absurd. You cannot be serious. It's that a president of the United States would do this so overtly. And frankly, I think part of the reason why he did it so overtly is because it's the day after the Mueller uh, testimony that went so horrendously for the side of truth. Uh, I'm not going to get into that. Because at that point, he thought he was untouchable. He was euphoric. His ego got the best of him. And he's looking ahead to 2020. He realizes, because it's the truth, that Joe Biden is his biggest threat. Joe Biden is the one that he doesn't know how to beat because he's getting clobbered in the head-to-head polls, and Joe Biden doesn't allow him to scare white guys uh, in central Pennsylvania into thinking that uh, you know he's another Hillary Clinton. I mean, so there's all sorts of reasons why Trump is doing this. But from a human standpoint, that's what's driving him to make this mistake. It's euphoria. It's overconfidence. It's hubris. It's narcissism, and it's the feeling he got from having gotten away with what happened with Russia. I mean, it's not a coincidence. In his mind, Russia ends on July 24th, and on July 25th, this phone call happens. And as I wrote in my column for media yesterday, I really hope, as this evolves, that we do not, and there's some signs that that people are not going to let this happen, which is good, that we do not look at this in a vacuum. You must look at this in the big picture. 
Because I now, when I look at this transcript, I now have fairly significantly shifted my position on so-called Russian collusion. And, of course, that word has become uh, so politicized. The collusion delusion is over. I mean, who the hell knows what the heck you're defining collusion as being. But the idea that Trump would be willing and able to do this as president of the United States, where he knows he's under extraordinary scrutiny. If he's willing to do this so overtly, there is absolutely positively no chance, no chance that he was not directly involved in the infamous Trump Tower meeting in June of 2016, where Russians were offering dirt on Hillary Clinton. Correct. There's just no possible way. None, especially when he was in the building that day. His son, his son-in-law, and his campaign chairman were all in the meeting. It's just impossible. It is utterly... It's just flat out ridiculous. ...to even consider it. And so you have to re uh, reanalyze through the prism of what you now know today the information that we have on the Russian investigation. And it's not just the Trump Tower meeting. It's the publicly asking for Russia... To, to hack into Hillary's emails, which, by the way, they did the night he publicly asked them to do so. Correct. I mean, so, so that is evidence of whatever you want to call it, but the word that's been used is collusion. It also goes right to the, what I've been screaming about for many months, which is this whole issue of Cohen committing perjury to Congress over the timing of the Trump Tower Moscow project. Uh, this is the way Trump works. It's exactly what Cohen said. It's not a direct order. It's like a mob boss. And when you're president of the United States, this cannot be said enough. When you're president of the United States, you don't have to be this direct, especially with people who know how you operate. Everybody now knows the way that Trump operates, especially those around him. They know what's in order. They know what he wants. They're, they understand they're more than willing, as Zelensky proves, to suck up no matter what the consequences for that might be, because they know that works with him, that, that he rewards sucking up, that he rewards loyalty. So I really hope that we don't lose sight of the big picture here. It's There's a number of analogies that I've used in this whole situation. In the column for Mediate, I use the romance analogy. I mean, think about it in the real world. When you start in a new romantic relationship, you start with a clean slate. And if you start to suspect that the person you're with is cheating on you, you have a very high burden of proof, a very high level of proof. Because, you, one, you don't want to believe it. And, two, the person's never cheated on you previously. You trust them. And so, therefore, you are very, very hesitant to conclude that, oh, my gosh, this person is cheating on me. Well, that to me, was the Russian investigation, that this was so far outside of our, our scope of thinking, it was so hard to wrap our brains around, that Trump could have actually done this during the 2016 election, that he might have even been elected with the help uh, of uh, Russian influence, that we had a very, very high burden of proof. And frankly, I think Robert Mueller's burden of proof was insanely high. Uh, I'm not going to get into that. And that he did, he was doing Trump favors inadvertently at every possible turn, including his pathetic testimony. And so, so we have this incredibly high burden of proof. And we go through this investigation of, okay, did Trump commit 
you know, for lack of a better term, infidelity. And there's a lot of evidence that he did, but we give him the benefit of the doubt for a lot of reasons, some of them not very legitimate at all. But we give him the benefit of the doubt and we're not able to convince uh, the wife that, uh, yeah, Trump cheated on her. And then immediately after you let him off the hook and you decide you're not going to get a divorce, immediately after he does almost exactly the same thing, almost like he's he's hitting up a new mistress the day after he realizes his wife isn't going to divorce him. And you get you catch him red handed. You catch him red handed trying to do exactly the same thing he was just accused of doing credibly. Well, it would take a moron. It would take a moron to not then reevaluate. Wait a minute. If he was willing to do this on July 25th, then maybe just maybe there's a really good chance I was wrong to let him off the hook the first time. Right. I mean, it's not that difficult. Correct. That, to me, is the way I look at this. I now believe that the Ukrainian situation proves that almost everything that was suspected in the Russian investigation was true. It just wasn't able to be proven to the 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 sufficient uh, level that Robert Mueller was willing to go in front of Congress and say, impeach the motherfucker. That was never going to happen because Trump doesn't even do email. As president, his phone calls are transcribed, which is something apparently he forgot about because of his euphoria over how pathetically Mueller had done in his testimony the day before. So that's one analogy. Another analogy that you're not going to hear from anybody else but me, I kind of specialize in these unique analogies, is I have written uh, numerous times about how this entire, the entire litany of Trump scandals, specifically Russia and now Ukraine, are remarkably similar to the O.J. Simpson murder case here in Los Angeles. You're thinking, what? How is that possible? In the short version, uh, Trump was guilty as hell, just like O.J., and used a lot of the same tactics, including some of the same people like Alan Dershowitz, (laughs) to get away with effectively murder. From From a metaphorical standpoint, what he did with Russia, I believe, was was effectively murder from a political sense, from an ethical perspective. And he got away with it, much like O.J. did, against all odds. He himself was probably shocked, much like O.J., that he got away with it. Well, after O.J. got acquitted uh, of murdering two people, uh, obviously, blatantly, uh, he eventually ends up going to prison over something much more minor, a heist in Las Vegas, which, if you know my history, I actually had a a indirect <laughs> uh, role in why that whole thing happened. But go- you can Google me on that, and that's, that's an amazing story for another day. But he gets, he gets arrested for a, a memorabilia heist in Las Vegas. Much, much, much more minor offense than slaughtering two people. But there's an audio recording in that heist. And because the law is pretty clear and because the evidence was pretty clear and because people have a lower burden of proof uh, when it comes to a smaller crime, he got convicted and sent to prison for several years. Well, he's out now. Well, similarly, that's how I view the Ukrainian call. Nowhere near, although still very serious, nowhere near the level of crime that I think was now committed in the Russian investigation. But we've got a transcript. 
and it's easier to understand, and it's a little more concrete, and we're far more suspicious now because we've already seen what happened with with regard to Russia, and a lot of people, at least reasonable people, were never convinced he was really innocent. He was never really exonerated. So now we're like, okay, dude, uh, you just proved to us that you actually were guilty that first time around. The only difference I see with regard to this O.J. Simpson analogy is while I do think Trump will be impeached, I still do not believe he's going to be removed from office. I, I, I maintain that. That was my initial reaction. I wrote a column about it the day after we learned about the whistleblower complaint. I said this in the last episode of the Individual One podcast. I am still right there. I believe that this will be a significant part of an impeachment inquiry that will result in Donald Trump being impeached. But I do not see any evidence that he's going to be removed from office. Now, there are some who are trying to pretend that, oh, but maybe Republicans will finally see the light and maybe they'll see that uh, in an election year, it's a good idea to get rid of this guy. And all of a sudden, everyone, you know, like Caesar is going to suddenly stab Trump in the back. Uh, there was even a, a Democratic uh, congresswoman uh, who's on the Judiciary Committee. I saw on CNN, her name escapes me today, uh, but the CNN anchor was shocked uh, where she implied that there were multiple Republican senators who have uh, indicated to her that they, if this was all proven, were willing to vote Trump out of office. Now, that's my uh, analysis of what she said. That's not verbatim. That, that's, uh, you know, so don't quote me on that. But that's pretty essentially what she said. And certainly that's what the CNN anchor, uh, how she interpreted it. I don't believe that. I mean, it's possible she had some sort of conversation, but telling a a Democratic congresswoman uh, anonymously uh, on background that, hey, uh, look, we'd love to get rid of the guy is a totally different animal than uh, months from now after this war rages on, because that's where we're heading on this, where it's a litmus test for all Republicans to think that this is just perfectly fine and defend this ridiculous behavior that suddenly in front of God and everybody in the U.S. Senate, you're going to be one of the first Republican senators to break against Trump. That's not going to happen. And I've always explained exactly why it's not going to happen. Not only are people cowardly, but there's not a core of Republican senators to provide cover. This is why the death of John McCain was so important. This was why the death of John McCain caused Lindsey Graham to become a, a Trump sycophant was so important. In theory, in theory, you had a, a, a base of Republican senators that could provide cover for other people. Mitt Romney, John McCain, theoretically Lindsey Graham, um, Ben Sass. You have people like that in the Senate who on paper would have the, the gumption and the, and the theoretical character to stand up and say, no, we're not going to allow this to transpire. Once you get three, and three is the magic number, once you get three good ones that are, that are strong, that provides cover for other people. I don't see how that cover gets created. Romney is the only one that is showing even half a testicle, and it's barely half a testicle. So, uh, and, and without someone rushing to his aid, I don't think you're going to see both testicles from Romney. So, I don't see how this goes beyond Romney. Uh, you know, you know I, I do think that we're going to find out a lot more about this phone call. I, I feel like this phone call is only a piece of a larger puzzle. I think there's more information surrounding this phone call. I think that might be why the White House put this out first. 
uh, trying to create the impression that this is it, that this is the worst that it gets. Uh, because it certainly feels like when you look deeply at the transcript or this partial transcript, that there are other uh, elements of it, that there's other pieces, that there were other communications, whether it's Giuliani or whether it's Trump himself or there were other phone calls. There's something else missing here. And that's why we need to see the whistleblower complaint, which apparently deals with other episodes. There's also this issue, which I hope doesn't get totally lost, that Bill Barr, how Bill Barr and this is giving him the benefit of the doubt, how Bill Barr has not resigned today based upon what is being reported about him not even knowing about this. That's his position. If that's true, how is he not resigning? And if it's not true, how is he not impeached? I mean, that's where I am on Bill Barr. I have, I have called Bill Barr far sooner than anybody else. I mean, I think Bill Barr is one of the biggest villains in this entire saga. I, I think that he has destroyed uh, whatever credibility the attorney general's office had and uh, and single-handedly, purposely did a kamikaze mission to mute the Mueller report. He was successful there, but uh, you know what, what we now know about this, at the very least, has a lot of questions that need to be answered. I don't have any confidence that they will be satisfactorily answered, but they ought to at least be asked. And then finally, the, the last analogy I have on this whole deal is that of, of a reality TV show. Because there's no, no question that this is a very serious matter and that in a rational world, in a rational world, Donald Trump would have already been impeached and removed from office. Correct. There's no question about this. The, the, the allegations against him are far more serious, far more credible, far more diverse than what got Bill Clinton impeached. And I was very much in favor of his impeachment and removal from office. However, Part of why I do not believe that this is going to result in his removal is that we are a frivolous nation and that a lot of this is media hype. And frankly, not not hype from the standpoint of whether this is serious or not. I'm talking about how it's going to be perceived, especially among Trump fans. And, you know, really, from a media perspective, this whole Trump scandal thing, it felt like originally impeachment was scheduled for the summertime. And that was going to be the programming. And then it got delayed a little bit. And then the star of the show, Robert Mueller. Uh, I'm not going to get into that. Got canceled. I'm not going to get into that. And so when the, once the star gets canceled, then you have to cancel the show. And now they got no programming. And now we're into the fall. And this is now like a reboot. This is a reality TV show reboot in an effort to, for, to uh, fill a, a void uh, in an emergency situation. And this is going to fill the void. This is going to be a big story for a very long time. This is not going to go away in a couple of days, especially given the nature of the of the transcript. And we still have the whistleblower complaint. There's all going to be all sorts of avenues for people to investigate, and they will. And I believe we will find new things out. So uh, I, I'm still, you know, even though it's amazing, we, we found out a lot more information than we had just a few days ago. But in the big picture, uh, my view hasn't changed very much. He'll be impeached, not removed, and I'm very concerned that this could actually end up helping him with regard to which opponent he faces in the 2020 election. There are already signs that Elizabeth Warren, as I've been predicting for weeks now, is overtaking Joe Biden. I think that Elizabeth Warren is in an exceedingly good position to win this nomination. The, the polling that is just out is very good for her, but of course it does not include the reaction to this whole Ukrainian situation. 
The big question, and I don't think anyone has the answer to this, is does this help or hurt Joe Biden? My gut instinct, which I I expressed in episode number 57, is in the short run, this helps Joe Biden. There's a rally around the flag effect. It elevates him. It puts him head to head with Donald Trump. There's anger at Trump trying to take Joe Biden out. That, I think, is potentially good for Biden. It's also going to be very, very, very difficult for any other Democratic a potential nominee to attack Biden on this whole Ukrainian issue, because then it looks like they're doing the bidding for Donald Trump. So that's good for for Biden in the short run. In the longer run, though, I can see where the drip, drip, drip of this and the bull crap that's going to come out of the right and the conservative media and Trump himself and, and his megaphone. I mean, they want to make this all about Joe Biden. And while Joe Biden has come out pretty strongly so far in defense, I just don't think he's capable of this. I think that I think that some Democratic voters are going to see this as a prelude, a preview, if you will, to a 2020 matchup. And if they see that Trump is 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 hammering the hell out of Joe Biden and they don't think that he's been strong enough in his defense and that they have lingering questions and the, and the stench of this whole thing sticks to him, even though it shouldn't, based upon the, the factual record as we currently know it, I think that Biden could be in big trouble. And this may end up uh, playing right into Elizabeth Warren's hands. And if it does do that and Elizabeth Warren does end up being the nominee, then guess who benefits? Guess who? That's right. Donald Trump. Correct. Because he would have a much better chance against Elizabeth Warren than he would against uh, Joe Biden. And all the polls indicate that. And that's even before the Pocahontas issue is fully litigated. So we've got a very weird dichotomy going on. And that's this will be uh, this will be uh, clear when I give you our uh, percentages that we end each show with. And that dichotomy is there's a better chance now that Donald Trump could theoretically be removed from office or not be able to finish his first term. But there's also a better chance that he's going to be reelected. That seems completely contradictory, but that's the upside down, crazy Alice in Wonderland world in which we now live. So without further ado, I would put the percentage chance that Donald Trump does not finish his first term in office at an all time high of 13 percent, still not very high, 13 percent. But I'm also going to increase the chances that he's actually reelected because I do think that this is a situation that could end up theoretically benefiting him, Elizabeth Warren being the nominee and him therefore being able to beat her because I do not believe that he could beat Joe Biden uh, under the current circumstances. So I'm going to put that percentage at 45%. So 13% chance of not finishing his first term in office, 45% chance of being reelected. That'll do it for this episode number 58 of the Individual One podcast. Please remember to subscribe, rate, review, and share it via social media. Follow us on Twitter at Individual One Pod. That's Individual Number One Pod. Until uh, next time, which will be scheduled for Sunday early afternoon, Los Angeles, California time. My name is John Ziegler. You're listening to the Global Story Network.